Welcome to Hope for the Heart, a uh, broadcast that is a weekly broadcast designed to enlighten you, the listener, concerning certain passages of Scripture and or books of the Bible. And as it turns out, we are in the book of Revelation. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study into this wonderful book. I, I know I find it just so exciting. I've had a chance to study it many times and many parts of it uh, even more times uh, as I've uh, went through seminary and finished seminary and I've been again to teach, and I've just had a tremendous opportunity to teach to a lot of people uh, the Word of God. So I'm looking forward to today. Uh, last week we entitled the message, uh, The Voice of the Lord, and this week we're talking about the vision of the Lord. And so I want to, as we begin, to give you a context for this. I'm in Revelation chapter 1. And today will be the passage, verses 12 through 16. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Uh, I hope you have a Bible and you can read along as I read this to you. If you don't, you can pause this and get a copy of God's Word and read it. And follow along with me and take maybe some notes if you can. Uh, Beginning in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1, the Word of God reads, And I turn to see... The voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 17, I'll read it just to continue the context. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. This is one of those kinds of passages of Scripture that uh, it's just exciting to read it because what we're reading here is what John has been told to write. He's being told to write this description. So this description of this voice that we're looking at is one that is given to us from the Lord, and so therefore it must be important. It's included in the Word of God. It's included in what John has been told to do. In fact, we look back at verses 9 and uh, through 11 of last week, and it says John was, was uh, in the Spirit on, the, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, and he heard a loud voice, like the voice of a trumpet, and the voice is saying, write in a book what you see, and then send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and, and Smyrna, and these seven churches these seven churches of Asia Minor. And so what we're looking at today, beginning in verse 12 through 16, is what he is told to write. And so I find that amazing because this actually is the Word of God. And so we're, we're getting a look at how the Word of God was formed. It was Word that uh, he, he speaks through the, the, the writers, the, the, either the prophets or the, the apostles, and then they're told what to write given to us what we are to, to see. And so I, I'm looking at this with, with just tremendous anticipation and excitement as to being able to explain some of this to us. 
But we're seeing here a picture of the Lord. And, uh, of course, we're going to find that out. Now, in, in, in parallel with this passage, verses 12 through 16, you would need to, in, in my Bible, is to look across the page to verses 19 and 20, and you'll find explanation of some of these things that he's talking about here, like the seven churches in verse 12, and uh, I mean the, the seven golden lampstands in verse 12, and also in verse 16, the seven stars. And so he gives you the, the identity of those, and so that's how we're going to begin our outline today. The first thing I want you to notice in verse 12 is the lampstands. Look at what he says, I turned to see, and then he says, I turned and I saw. So he sees something. It is a, a literal vision of what God wants him to see. And this is exactly the way God wants him to see it and record it. So what we have is the recording of what he is seeing. And so what this is picturing for us is really a look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want you to notice it says the lampstands. Um, having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now when you turn across the page to verse 20, it says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, reference to verse 16, and the seven golden lampstands, which is reference to verse 12, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we can say in verse 12 that John turned to see the voice, and he saw the voice, but what he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't classify it as a voice. He says, I saw Seven golden lampstands. So really, he sees these churches. And so this is what he sees according to verse 20. And thank, uh, we're thankful for the interpretation of that because we would not actually know. But so what he's picturing for us based on verse 1 or verse 12 is the church. Uh, the churches there that he is seeing uh, are the seven churches of Asia Minor. He says, I turned to see the voice was speaking to me as he turns Instead of seeing the glorified Christ, he sees, first of all, seven golden lampstands. Well, what are they? Well, in verse 20, they are the, the churches. He's seeing, then, a vision of the churches. Now, these lampstands were just portable lampstands that you might set around a room at night with uh, oil in them that would be set for light. The church, then, is seen as, I, I believe this is telling us, and I'm probably going to miss a lot, but as far as some of these things, we're seeing that God's lampstand from which the light of life shines is the church. The church is the light of the world. As Jesus said, uh, God's people are assembled in churches so they can shine forth the light. Each church is a light in its own location or its own area. And so whatever church you are part of, that serves as a light to that community. The lampstands are gold. And why? Because gold was the most precious, most lovely of all the metals. And the congregation of God's people are not only to be lights in the world, but I believe this is showing to us they are to be the heart of God's most costly, most beautiful, most precious, or most valuable thing on earth. So valuable that he was willing to purchase them with his own blood. And so there we are, the seven churches. The seven, of course, we already looked at this uh, three weeks ago. Seven is the number of completeness. You see a number of times. Uh, uh, seven is, is always a picture there. But this is a picture or design for the temple and the tabernacle. It was a sevenfold lamp. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 2 uh, tells us this. Moses and Zechariah had seven lamps on their stands. And it was a symbol of completeness, a symbol, uh, symbolic of uh, the whole people of God. And here, 
this would have to be representation. I'm bringing that up because it's not just seven churches. I believe it is symbolic or or picturesque of the whole church, all the total body of Christ. So what do we have then? We have a vision of the church, and in the midst of that vision of the church, he sees, verse 13, one like a son of man, one literally a son of man. So number one on the outline is the church or the lampstands. Number two is the son of man. And so what he's saying here is one like a son of man, literally one who is the son of man, Jesus Christ. That is the vision he sees. He's seeing the glorified Lord in the midst of his precious church. That is phenomenal that this this vision is coming to John in such a way as to be actually an encouragement to the word of God, or to to the church of God, to his literal people. Now, what he's doing there, what is he doing in that 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 picture there or that the the symbolic nature there of being in the midst of the churches? What is he doing? And I think this is what can be so exciting because I could take this and run with it as far as just symbolic meanings. But first of all, he's there in the midst. And I think it's symbolic, first of all, of he's in our midst as individuals. He is inside us. Yeah, we uh, we have the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and so he is indwelling us. And so why is he indwelling us? He's indwelling us to empower us. So I really believe this is not too loose here with an interpretation, but I really think he's he's there to show, first of all, he's in the midst of the church to empower the church. In verse 13, it's implied in the middle of the lamp stands one like the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is obviously a messianic title, and I've mentioned this already, for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sees him. So he is seeing here the Lord of the church, and what is he doing? He's he's in the midst of the church. Obviously, there's motion there. It's implied that he's going, uh, moving about in the midst of the church. And why is it? Why is that important? Well, I think it's important probably for a lot of reasons. One would be uh, Jesus, uh, through the Apostle Paul, tells us that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We can look at that in, in say Romans six. Uh, 7 and 8, or we can look at uh, Matthew or John where it says, uh, I am always with, uh, I'll never leave you uh, as, as orphans. I'm always there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That great promise that Jesus gave us to the apostles was that he would, he would never, ever leave them. And so we're seeing him here. Uh, even though we don't really have a full focus yet of the churches, we have a focus of Christ in the churches showing us that he will never leave us. Even though we may not see him, he is there. And I love to to see here that he is the living, exalted, glorified Christ in the midst of his church. So why is he there? I think he is there, obviously, for empowerment. The first thing that comes to my mind, and I know several writers have mentioned this, so if you've read some of this, it's uh, you, you'll see this, but it's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And I think that is the picture here. Therefore, the life which I live is in the flesh is not by my power, but according to Paul, it's the power of Christ. We are empowered by the indwelling, living Christ. He is present to lead. He is present to empower his church. Uh <clears throat> 
So this is this is what I think he is actually giving to us here. Of course, I, I again, then want to move to Matthew 18, <clears throat> where it says, "Where two or three are gathered in 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 my in the midst, there I am in in their their midst." And so we can see that this would be a picture of that. But also, I see in verse 13 that uh, number one is the the, the lampstand. Uh, verse 12, number two is the one like the Son of Man. But number three, he begins to get into the meaning of this. And I want you to see how he does this. Look at verse 13 of Revelation chapter 1. It says, in, uh, in the middle of the lampstand, one like a Son of Man, which is a messianic title. Really, he's saying uh, the, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. But it says, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, girded across his breast with a golden girdle. Now, uh, I think basically this is giving us uh, two or three things about this. Clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet. Kings wore robes. Uh, Jonathan and Saul, uh, in the story of them, Jonathan was being even a prince, wore such a long robe. The Greek word, uh, which is used in the Old Testament Septuagint, there you have Greek, uh, vision is to refer to the robes of kings. Not only did kings wear robes, but prophets wore robes. In fact, we find robes all through the Old Testament. Daniel uh, actually had a robe, uh, a messenger from God. That, uh, that, that a messenger had a linen robe made out of fine linen uh, that was all the way down to his feet. And the Septuagint uses the very same word here for this to describe for us that robe. So some think it's simply speaking of the dignity of Christ, but there's something beyond that, and I think, Probably this kind of robe in the Old Testament belongs to the high priest. And so I think the picture here and the, the implication we are to take here is that he intercedes for us. He prays for us. He is there to intercede on the behalf of us. And so this garment that we're seeing here and the way he's describing it in verse 13, it seems to me that we see here as Christ in his priestly robe. And when you add the fact that he had across his chest this girdle, not girdle, but a golden sash is really the way it reads. We are reminded that the priests in the Old Testament wore this. Uh, Exodus chapter 28, for example, gives of this. And I believe we see the Lord in his priestly role acting as a royal high priest on the behalf of his church. Uh, these, the, you remember, therefore, that uh, the, the, the New Testament talks a lot about this, especially uh, so a little bit in, the, in Romans, but mostly in Hebrews. Listen to these words. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For since he himself was tempted, and that he which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who is tempted. And this that's found in Hebrews chapter two, verse seventeen. In Hebrews chapter three, again, he's called a high priest of our confession. We have a great high priest among us. He's moving among the lampstands. He's moving in his church. He has unequaled capacity uh, through all that he has been through to really, uh, like the New Testament says, we can cast our cares upon him. He's been there, and he truly does care for us. And so we, we find this here in which he is. Uh, he points towards the, the temptation without sin, he knows the path of victory in every temptation. And so we see the glorified, exalted Christ is present to not only move and to empower the church, but to intercede for his church. 
And then there's a, a ministry, uh, there's something else that strikes the eye of John. He sees that something that is related to the uh, purity of his church. Look at verse 14. Uh, and again, you know, you think about if Christ were to reveal himself to you like this is seen here. If you were to see Jesus like this, uh, laying in your bed tonight and you see this vision, you know, what would that do to you? How would that shake you or disturb you or, or even calm you or, or what would that do for you? I think about this vision when I think about John. He's recording this vision. It's like, wow. Uh, he's never seen anything like this before. Well, he has actually. In the Mount of Transfiguration, he did see something here, and I'll share that next week. But I want you to notice verse 14. His head, his hair, were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His head and his hair were white like snow. What, what, what's the point here? Well, the verse 13, he's talking about the person and then he moves to his head, his hair, his eyes, his feet, his voice, his right hand, his mouth, his face. Now he's not seeing his clothing. Uh, he's gone from the lampstand to the very features of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. And this is gets to be really exciting. Think about now, when I'm talking about these, I'm not just talking about words on a page. I'm talking about a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so he is lifting these things up to us so that we can see these because he's been told to do that. This actually is what God wants us to see. So I can truly say today, if you're listening to this in verses 12 through 16 on Hope for the Heart, I think it's very much intended that you see this because God has given it to us. Now, I want to draw your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, Peter says judgment begins with the household of God. Talking about cleansing his church. He will cleanse and purge his church. And I really believe that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing a vision here of him purging his church. And partly I'm saying that because uh, Peter says that. And I'm, uh, I think uh, John MacArthur drew me to that particular passage. But also the very content of what's in these messages to the seven churches. But I want to begin first with his head, his hair, were white like wool, like snow. Now, the only other time I have seen that is found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, in which he is describing God. And so there in Daniel, he's saying God looked and sees him like that. But this is now talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think very clearly the first summation we can make is that Jesus actually is God. He has the same attributes, the same characteristics, the same uh, uh, word white uh, that we see there is in both places. And I want to look at that word white because it's not white like you would find like white paint on a wall or white uh, cotton. It's not like the white piece of paper. Uh, this is not the idea of it at all. The word white, which means actually a blazing, it's not a, a dull white uh, or even a, 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 I don't even know how to describe the white, but it's not like a white wall. Uh, here, it, it, is, it means a blazing or actually a glowing white light. He is seeing, I think what he's seeing here is, is, is the glory of God. 
the symbolicness, uh, the, the symbol of this eternal, glorious holiness. Uh, whenever God showed his glory in the Old Testament, it was called the Shekinah glory. He was showing his holiness. It demonstrates the purity of life. It demonstrates the purity of his truth. He is all wise. He is all holy. And this is describing for us blazing, glowing, brilliant, shining light. And this is what Peter, James, and John, again, this same John, saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, but notice what he says. He adds his eyes. His eyes were a flame of fire. And what is he seeing? He is seeing blazing white, brilliant, shining glory of God and coming out of it like two lasers. I, I, one writer said that. I can't get my mind off of that because that may be pretty much what he saw. One from each eye comes from the very flames of fire. Well, what is this? This, I think, would be a reference to the holy, glorious, exalted Lord that searches with that penetrating gaze, looking into the very depths of the activities or the works uh, in the church itself. That's what I think, that's why he's in the midst. Now, remember, this description is in the midst of the church. He sees him like this. That's exactly what it is. In chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 18, the Son of God there is also seen with eyes like a flame of fire penetrating in to see the church. We see the same thing at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 20. Those gazing, penetrating, uh, supernatural lasers penetrate right through with the holy uh, look to reveal him everything he wants him to see. So when Christ moves through his church in his glorified presence his eyes are absolutely everything his vision is accurate there are no secret there's nothing hidden from him whatsoever and then he moves to his feet remember we're describing the lord jesus christ the way god wants john to record it so for some reason it's recorded like this so we can see it like this his feet uh there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him uh, who, uh, whom we have to do. And that's Hebrews 4.13. I bring that up because all of this is, is, is open and laid bare for him. The Lord of the church is holy. The Lord of the church sees everything, and he's going to deal with sin. And then as he brings out his feet, I want you to notice what he says about his feet. His feet, in verse 15, were burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters so we, we move from the from the uh, lampshades to the son of man number two on the outline number three uh, he's in the midst of the lampstands and then uh, uh, three four five no is uh, he intercedes and then his head and his eyes and now his feet and so, to, to wow, in the world, would they even mention his feet? His feet were like bronze. Well, what is that? It's red hot. You see the metal in the furnace glowing. And this is the picture here of burning brass or bronze. And footnote uh, on this, all of the temple and the tabernacle furniture that was in any way used in a sin offering was always made of ba brass or bronze. When you see brass in this situation, you know it has something to do with sin. And here you have the feet glowing very clearly, a reference to judgment. Anytime anybody came before the king, the king always in ancient times sat 
on an elevated throne. That's, that's, we tend to not know that because unless we've read that, we would not have any reason to know that for our day. But when a criminal came in to be sentenced, he was always below the feet of the king. In other words, the, the, the throne was elevated in such a way as that when you bowed before the king, or when a criminal bowed before the king, he bowed below the feet level of where he had his feet, or the stool of his feet. He would bow down and look up to see the feet of the king and the throne and the body and then the head. So the feet of the king became the symbol of his authority. And here we find Jesus Christ with red hot feet moving through his church to exercise a discipline or a chastening, I think as Hebrews chapter 13 brings out, blazing, pure, refined, gleaming feet of judgment. This metal is pure, it's refined by the holiness and the glory of God, ready to deal out pain, if need be, to sinning Christians in a sinning church. That in itself is absolutely amazing. But then we find even more. We move to the next one. I have number five as feet, but uh, I probably broke these down a little weird, so you probably can't follow them by numbers. But next we have the voice. Uh, he speaks uh, authoritatively to the church. The end of verse 15 says his voice was like the sound of many waters. And so this voice is the, remember, this is the voice of God. This is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 43, 2 has the same thought about God again. It's the voice of authority. It's like a thundering voice uh, like like the children of Israel heard on Mount Sinai. It's the voice of power. It's the voice of commands. It's the voice of John chapter 5. Verse 28 and 29 says, Someday we'll speak and, and everyone in the grave will be caught up and they will hear his voice. It's the voice of Christ speaking to the church. He speaks with authority. Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry times in many places has spoken. And so this is one of the reasons why all through the, the years at, at Christ fellow, uh, Grace Fellowship Church, I would always or many times say that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's what we have here. We have him literally speaking to John, who is recording this. So we are reading what John wrote, which Christ spoke. And so it's just symbolic of all of the Word of God. He is the one who speaks to his church. He speaks through the Word. He speaks to us through his epistles. He speaks to us through his Spirit. The Lord of the church is there to do all of this for us. And now he moves to his uh, to control the church, verse 16. In his right hand, he had seven stars. Now, these seven stars, what does that mean? Well, you go down to verse 20. It's for the mystery of the seven stars, uh, which you saw in my hand. These are seven golden lampstands. Seven stars are literally the messengers of the seven churches. So you, you have in verse 12 the, the lampstands, which are churches. In verse 16, you have the stars which are there, and these are the messengers of here. And so in his hand, he holds the seven stars. Or some might think, well, that's for safety and protection. Uh, it could be, but I think it's more of the controls of church. Each of these churches has a representative, a messenger, someone who represents the church, 
and he controls them. I think the right hand also is the right hand of power. It's the right hand of might. It's the right hand of authority. And I think we see all of that here. But who are these messengers? Who are these ones that are called stars? These seven messengers are really is the word for angels. I mean, it can mean angels, but I don't think it means angels. Some have suggested that these are seven men who represent the seven churches. And I think that's exactly right. I think these are probably elders, pastors, or whoever is, is the representative there. And Christ is saying, I hold you in my hand as a symbol that I hold all the leadership of the church in my hand. And I think it's symbolic here that these messengers are going to deliver the letter. Uh, um, and they're not just messengers who are going to deliver the letter, some think, but they are angels because the Lord would never give a letter to an angel. So they're messengers, not angels. Uh, and so he, they are rather going to be delivering this message, but they're more than that. These are seven key leaders, I think, representing the eldership of those churches. And he says, I hold these leaders in my hand as I would hold the leaders in any church in my hand. And I think we see here, if we look carefully here, we see a plurality of elders. As we know, it's very clearly taught in the New Testament. But there's always one of the plurality who has the spoken or the, the authority to make those final decisions. And he's saying, I control the church. I meditate. I mediate that control through the leaders. And you see these spiritual leaders are presented here. The Lord of the church is present, I think, to, to, to give us all of this in this form of the vision in which uh, we are seeing this, in, in which he's using the, the identity here of the vision or the description of Jesus Christ to give us this. And so I think this is here to protect the church. And I think he doesn't mean to fight the battle on the outside. I think he means to fight the battle on the inside. But the word sword here, uh, and we're, we're going to get into to that uh, in, a, in a little while, but uh, it says, I mean, right now, he says in his right hand, he has seven stars, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. I was thinking that was in the next verse, which was next week, but actually it's right now. So to the messenger in the church of Pergamum, for example, he writes, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Verse 16, repent or I'm coming to you. I'll make war against him with the sword of my mouth. So anybody inside the church that threatens the life of the church, anyone who tries to sow lies, the unbeliever who comes in to corrupt the church, tries to disrupt the church, to bring disharmony in the church. He says, I'll take my sword out and I will use it. So he's protecting the church. He doesn't mean to fight it outside, but inside with the sword. I will build my church, we're told. And so finally the Lord reflects on the glory through the church. By the end of verse 16, he says, and I want you to see this, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Man, I'm sure there's a lot we can say to this, and I'll add some more to this next week. But he simply says here that I looked and his face was like the blazing sun. Takes us back, I think, doesn't it, to the first glimpse he had when he saw his head and his hair were like wool, blazing white. He sees it in full brightness. And I think this is a wonderful thing to close on, but listen, John saw the face and it was like the it was like the sun blazing fullness on a clear day. John borrowed the expression from the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 5, verse 31, it says, But let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its strength. 
And so I think he is saying here, I saw his face and it was like the sun shining in its strength, the sun at its blazing height. And back in Judges, that's what the Spirit wrote about those who love God and what they are like. They're like the blazing sun at its height. And the link is wonderful. I think in John for, uh, Judges 5.31, the one that loves God is like that. He is a glowing, blazing light. In Revelation 1.16, Jesus Christ is the blazing sun. What's the point? The point is that the Lord shines in his church, and he shines through his church. We love him, and we reveal his glory to the watching world. I think that's very clearly the message. At least to me it is. I think we see the Lord is in the church, empowering the church, shining through the church. He's purifying. He's protecting the church. And we are, we that love him are to reveal that same thing to the watching world. And by the way, I think a note in John 5, 31 about the faces of those who love him shining like the sun is linked with the idea of judgment in the same verse. John 5, 31 that also supports the interpretation of the two-edged sword as a sword of judgment to protect the church from the destruction of its enemies. So the Lord will show his glory through the church. It's what, des- it's what he desires to do. And I think this picture here of his uh, speaking to John and John turning and seeing this voice and being described is going to be brought out even more next week. I can't wait till uh, actually not next week, actually this week, this Friday when I present it again, uh, we're going to see what he is actually his purpose or the meaning of this vision actually is. I thank you for joining us today with Hope for the Heart. Keep reading the Word of God. Stay with the book of Revelation and learn from this. Thank you.